0: Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy in proportion to his faith. If it is in serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Um, They are a family who are generous people. Jim, this is what you do. This is what we do. Wow. <clears throat> Amen.
1: It's, it's appropriate to read that passage and to say those words on a day like today because Pentecost is, is, I think, so much broader and so much more spectacular and more important than many of us have recognized. And uh, it is traditionally the birthday of the church it is, uh, as some would say, the reversal of the curse uh, of Babel. And I would, I would place my own addendum on that and say it is more the overcoming than the reversal. But there is so much about the unity of the body of Christ that is initiated on Pentecost Sunday. And that word is very appropriate for us for today today. Um, Lastly, I I didn't want to forget to give one just very brief note that when we Uh, relaunched the building campaign a a number of weeks ago, we said that we would give an update monthly and I just want to hold true and remind you all, we will be doing that next week. So the last week of every month, we're going to give an update on where we're at with the building and the projects and the finances so if you're interested in that, please just make sure you're here Uh, but many of you have been very generous and things are in the works, a number of projects are in the works, so thank you for that and next week, we'll give a thorough update. So I was raised uh, in a traditional Pentecostal church, the Assemblies of God, but, but that, was, that was different. I'm almost 31 in just a couple of weeks. Um, and when I was raised, which is not that long ago, those churches were very different than most of them are now. I was raised with altar calls at every service. And by every service, I mean four a week, and my dad was the music pastor, and that didn't include all the worship rehearsals and the choir rehearsals, and those might well have been services also. They weren't just rehearsals. They were times of testimony and devotional sharing and praying one for another. So I was raised in in a church that was very aware of the activity of the Spirit. And Pentecost Sunday was always a huge day. Um, From what I remember, which is never, hindsight 15 and 20 years ago is never 100% accurate, but what I remember is those Sundays primarily being focused on the the individual baptism of the Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. That is what I remember. And and I'm not going to preach that message today. I am going to preach a message on the Holy Spirit and on Pentecost, but the angle that I want to take is what Pentecost makes possible for us. So the life that Pentecost makes possible is what I, I titled my message. And uh, I always attempt to title my message in the beginning of my prep and then change it half a dozen to a dozen times. I changed it again this morning, y'all. <laughs> so so this is where I've really landed is I think that so much happened on the initial day of Pentecost. And we have generally in the church only explored, in my opinion, very little of it. And we're this by no means is going to thoroughly cover everything. But what I want to do is I want to shed light on a few areas that I think generally the Pentecostal and charismatic streams of the church don't give as much emphasis. So not minimizing the other, but really shedding light on what Pentecost makes possible for you and I here and now today and tomorrow when we're not gathered in this place together, right? <clears throat> so what is Pentecost? Pentecost is not an arbitrary holiday. It was not a day that originated in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Pentecost was was much like when Jesus... Um, met with the disciples on Passover and re-envisioned and reinterpreted that. And now we would say that was the last supper. Pentecost is the same way from an event that was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. And, and so Pentecost is a reimagining, a reinterpretation on that holiday. And what that holiday was, it was 50 days after Passover. So we say now Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, right? It's, it's it's actually 49 because it's Sunday to Sunday, I think. But, but hey, there, there's a little bit of grace there. Um, and, and I'm kind of doing the math in my head right now. It might even be 48. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but the point is that the Feast of Weeks signified a week of weeks. So seven weeks after is when they would celebrate this time. And what the Jews originally celebrated was the giving of the law to Moses. And the reinterpretation, the reimagining of this is when the Spirit comes and they are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. They're already gathered to celebrate the giving of the law. Then the Spirit comes and the reinterpretation is that once... The law was given to Moses, actually twice, because they broke the first Ten Commandments, right? The, The law was given to Moses, but now the law is being given in a new way. The law is no longer written on tablets of stone, but the law is being written on your hearts as the people of God. So come on, Sister Brenda. I'm so glad you're in the house today. I'm glad you're in the house, girl. Shout me down. I need my organist. Who's that here today? So what all does this mean? So just kind of outlining a few things up front. Pentecost is the birth of the church. Pentecost is the giving of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about exactly what that means and what that does not mean here in just a minute. But it is also, uh, it is the completion of the quote-unquote Easter season in the sacred calendar or the church calendar. It begins with Advent, which we've been celebrating Advent for a number of years. Advent happens right before Christmas. And the church calendar walks through the life of Christ. So it's Advent, Christmas, the Epiphany, and then it moves into the Lenten season where we partner with the sufferings of Christ. Then into Holy Week good friday and then resurrection right on easter resurrection sunday and then after that there are seven weeks actually easter is celebrated for seven weeks because the feast is always longer than the fast that's that's one of the rules of the tradition of the church that i thought was fascinating and wonderful to know but then yeah so it's like praise god you're asking me to fast for Lent, and then we celebrate for one day? What's up with that? No, we celebrate for seven weeks, but then comes Pentecost, and Pentecost is actually a dramatic shift in the history of the church. So for the first two-thirds or Half to two-thirds of the year, we celebrate the life of Christ, the chronicling of the life of Christ, because we enter into that with him. But then at Pentecost, there is a dramatic shift, and that shift is a moving from the life of Christ to the life of the people of God, because what happens at Pentecost is they're all gathered together, the Spirit comes, the Spirit baptizes the church, and then sends them out into the world right? And what we read in the book, man, I am all over the place in my notes right now. So I hope this is coming across as coherently as it is in my mind, right? But what happens is the book of Acts is the chronicling of the people of God learning to become the people of God. And that is what much of the New Testament, is. We read that, and if we want to romanticize it, all you have to do, just let me send you to 1 Corinthians. If we want to romanticize the, the early church, and, and them learning to become the people of God, just read 1 Corinthians, and then and that will put things in perspective for you. Okay, so all of this, this is all just big, big picture brush strokes of what is Pentecost. And we've been spending a lot of time in the book of John recently, starting with Pastor Christie's message a couple of weeks ago, then Pastor Jade's message, and I, I really just feel like there is, there is something for us in these last few chapters of the book of John, particularly 14 to 18, uh, where Jesus, it's primarily Jesus talking. And it's right at the end of his life. So today we're going to read a little bit from John chapter 15, verses 20. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26, and then we're going to cruise on from there. So Jesus talking says, When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning so a couple of things to note real quick that this is before pentecost right and jesus is prophesying i'm going to send the spirit to you now this is one of the things i said we're going to talk about what it does mean and what it does not mean so traditionally In the the Pentecostal and Charismatic Church, we have misinterpreted what this means, and and we've understood Jesus is leaving, and the Spirit is now coming, but that's not really what's happening. Jesus is not now absent, and the Spirit now present, where the Spirit wasn't present before, and Jesus was. That that is incorrect. What is correct is that both the Jesus, Jesus, not the Jesus, Jesus and the Spirit are present in new ways. That Jesus and the Spirit are now present to us differently. The Spirit, and we read in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit has always been present. But the difference is the way that the Spirit has been present to people. We see a number of times throughout the Old Testament that the Spirit will rest on people for a time. But then what happens in Acts chapter 2 is the indwelling of the Spirit. And much of this is familiar to us, but I want to keep reading here in uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. There is so much happening here. So Jesus is saying, none of you has asked me, where am I going? And so I want to just address this question now. Jesus tells the disciples, particularly in the book of John, over and And over and over again, I am going to a place that you cannot go. And it is good that I go there. And it is causing you grief. It is causing you anxiety because, frankly, they don't know what to do without him. But thank God Jesus is a little smarter than us. And so Jesus already has it intended to send them the Spirit to enable them with what Jesus makes possible for them. Okay, so this is going to get, it's a little bit theological, but this really matters for our lives. That G, Where is Jesus going? Jesus is going into God. Jesus is going into God to make room for us. Jesus is not going away to the corner of the universe until the end when he will finally return where Jesus is kind of just swirling around in his redeemed body. No, Jesus goes into God to make room for us and sends the spirit into us and brings God into us. Now this is this is crazy. This is weird. I understand. But what is significant here is that the disciples are, are watching the life of Christ for these years. And they're walking with Christ. But it is not until the Spirit is given inside of them that they are then enabled to actually live in Christ's life. See, this is the difference when Jesus says, The Spirit testifies to me, you must testify also. What he's saying is, you are now, when I give the Spirit, you are now living in in my life, you have now been, you have been brought into the triune life. You've been brought into the life of the Trinity, which is bound together by perfect love and mutual submission and honor and care for one another. And this is what we have now been brought into as the church. And that's one of the things that makes Pentecost significant. That we are not now trying to model ourselves out of some of our own strength after the life of Christ, but we have literally been brought into his life to live from that place. That is part of the beauty of Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. Amen? Jesus' life shows and models for us the way to live and makes it possible for us. But the Spirit enables us to actually do it. The Spirit appropriates what Jesus' life accomplished. Does that make sense? The Spirit appropriates to us what Jesus' life accomplished. Okay? So this is one of the reasons Pentecost is so important. Not just for Pentecostals and Charismatics, but for the life of the church anywhere and everywhere, the church universal. This is the Spirit is the one leading and guiding the church. He brings us into this triune life. So all the talk about love and unity in these four chapters that Jesus, you know, the, the high priestly prayer and Jesus's final discourse here with his disciples, it is made possible for us to to actually live into those things because we have been brought into the life of God, which is bound by love, and this is how we are empowered to live differently in the world. Jesus calls us to testify. But the, here's, the, here's the distinguishing mark, right? One can testify about something that you heard about something else, okay? But we are testifying from within. We are testifying to the life of Christ from within his life. We have been given the deposit of his spirit. And so we testify as ones who are participating in, in, as it says in the book of Philippians, the power of his resurrection and sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. So we are in the life of Christ testifying to who he is, testifying to the fact that he is who he says he is in the world today. You and I are doing that. When we live according to the way that Jesus lays out for us to live, By his power, we are testifying. It's more than just words, is what I'm trying to say. It's more than just, I know this is true because the Bible tells me this is true. No, it's, I know that this is true because this is the life that is now imparted to me. And I would not be who I am today apart from that life. That is what Pentecost makes possible for us. So I want to jump over now to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read, this is of course the traditional passage for the day of Pentecost. And we're going to read a bunch of scripture today. We're going to read a couple of, or much of the chapter of Acts 2. And then we're going to jump over to Romans 8 and we're going to land there. So I'm just going to read for a couple of minutes here if you can follow along with me. When the day of Pentecost, actually, let let me just set the stage real quick with one other thing. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus Jesus ascends, right right before he ascends, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, right? Which is what David was talking about, that the spirit is a gift to the church, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they met together, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Have we heard this before, right? Right? This is just another, sorry guys, I'm getting a little, I got the spirit of Pastor Jade on me. I'm getting warm today. (laughs) And I could be wrong, I don't think that's Pentecost. I think that's the HVAC, which we're in the process of getting fixed. Um, So once again, Jesus says, you will be baptized in the spirit and you will receive power. And they say, oh, power to restore Israel? (laughs) Like they still do not understand. That this kingdom and this power is of a different source, of a different way, and it is a different kind of power. So one of the things that we should be thinking about as we read these next verses from Acts chapter 2 is what is, this, what is the nature of this power? What is the power that Jesus gives to us by way of the Holy Spirit? Okay? So then, back to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I want to push pause here just for a second. Let's just notice. To us, this is familiar. We know about the tongues of fire. And we know about the speaking in other languages. And we know about what sounded and seemed like a rushing wind but was in a room. We're not sure if it actually was a rushing wind. Or it just had all of the attributes of a rushing wind. But guys, this is peculiar stuff. This is... This is not normal. This is certainly not what they're expecting when they say, Lord, you mean power to restore Israel? Oh, yeah, like tongues of fire and, uh, that, that empowers you to speak languages that you don't speak. They were not expecting this. And what I think is so just funny and ironic is just the chapter before, they're replacing Judas, and they pray, to the Holy Spirit, they pray, Lord, guide us, and then they draw straws, (laughs) right? You would think if any time the Spirit's gonna show up in power, it might be when they're re-choosing the 12th apostle that's literally gonna go out into all the world and be one of the first to spread the gospel to lands. They draw straws. This this was unanticipated. I, I just want you to see how, This is peculiar, this is weird, this is strange. Feels like every time I preach there's like super strange stuff, you know? With the uh, last time it was the raising up of the snake. This is, Lord, we need to choose another apostle so we pray that you would guide the pulling of these straws. And then now, not too much later, that the spirit is going to come and fall and do all these super weird things. But I think it's really important that we recognize that the spirit cannot and will not be contained or domesticated. That that we, Antioch Church, we, we are a people of the spirit. We are a people who, and, and we don't say that arrogantly or pridefully. We say that humbly as in, Lord, help us to be a people that will follow you wherever you go. Okay. We have to recognize, just like I said in Spirit Breakout, that that is going to mean some things that we cannot foresee. That is going to mean that the Spirit leads us to do things, and we're going, what in the world? Like, is tongues of fire really necessary? But that's not the question. That's not the question. We cannot domesticate the Spirit. We cannot contain the Spirit. So moving right along. So now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And once again, why were they gathered? They were gathered because this is the Feast of Weeks. And so they're gathered in the temple courts to celebrate the giving of the law. Okay, <clears throat> When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. So what has happened is they're in the upper room, which I've been to Israel and to Jerusalem, and the upper room is not far at all from where the temple courts would have been. So what most likely is what happened, excuse me, is they obviously made their way out of the room and could not control the speaking or the languages or they were just they were caught up they were enraptured in what the spirit was doing within them and among them and they made their ways out they made they make their way out to the temple courts and all the Jews that are gathered there now hear and see what was begun in the in the upper room and then moving along utterly amazed they asked are these not the men are, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, and yes, there will be a quiz. We we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue what were they speaking this is this is one of the things i had never seen before we we've, we've focused much on the fact that they were unable unable to speak these languages aside from the power of the spirit and the spirit comes on them and the, the theological word for this is xenolalia and it is speaking in a tongue that you have not learned and it is temporarily given by the spirit but what is it that they hear They hear about testifying to the signs and wonders of God. So, they say, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And I was reading, uh, I thought this this was fascinating to me. Actually, last night after my message was done, I was just continuing to read some on Pentecost and reading other commentators and what have other people said about this. And Justo González, a church historian, says that one of the things that is so fascinating. So they're making fun of what is clearly a miracle because they don't understand how miraculous it is because they're hearing in their own language. In other words, they're so that the privilege of hearing it in their own language has numbed them to the fact that this is a miracle happening among them. And they say, oh, they must be drunk. And they're, they're obviously there's, there's jest in that, but still it's mockery because they don't recognize that it's the Spirit of God that has initiated this. And just, I'll, I'll let you all draw your own conclusions. How's that for us? <clears throat> So let's, uh, let's move on just a couple of verses here, and I'm going to stop and make a point. Then Peter stood up with the 11, verse 14, and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Pause. This is another thing I had never seen before, and I address this in, in our pre-service prayer time, that is so fascinating, that the Spirit of God is coming on this Pentecost. This is the time that Jesus has spoken endlessly about in the book of John, especially in the latter days of his life. This is that which is what Peter is about to say, and Peter stops participating himself to address the crowd. Peter understood that signs and wonders are not about the signs and wonders, but they are a sign of pointing people to the God who cares so much about them that he'll go at the greatest lengths of providing signs and wonders to reach them. That is living in Pentecost. Pentecost is knowing when to keep praising and when to stop praising that I might engage someone else so they might praise. So Peter's here in the temple courts and these guys are all confused and there's 120 of them that they don't really understand but they're participating, right? Peter stops participating so that he might then very soon 3,000 be brought into what Peter was just participating in, being baptized into the church, into the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be a prophetic, Pentecost, spirit-filled people, then we can't over-spiritualize the signs and wonders at the expense of ignoring the very people that they are for, that when, God, that when God moves among us, we have to have, and this is another thing that the empowerment of the Spirit affords us, is the discernment, the awareness, to be aware. I need to stop, I need to speak clearly. I need to quit speaking in tongues and speak in English or Spanish or Creole or whatever your, language, your native language. I need to stop speaking in spiritual jargon and speak in a language that these people can understand so that they might join me in participating, in praising God as well. This is part of what it means to be a spirit-filled church. So then, just keeping along here. So Peter says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Note, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That all of this is that men and women might be brought into the saving relationship of the triune life in God. that And, and I, I purposely didn't say unto salvation because I think that that triggers things for us. And what we immediately hear is that people say a prayer. And I'm not against saying prayers. I say them every day and probably most of you do. But coming into this life in Christ, the spirit in us and us in Christ is just so much better bigger than that it is so much god is after the hearts of people god wants to share his life with you god wants to impart his life to these people that all of this the tongues of fire the speaking in tongues the the interpretation not the interpretation but the the uh, whatever that peter gave the analysis and the, and the response that peter, peter gave guys sorry i'm talking too fast let me slow down here for a minute the response that Peter's give all of it is unto the salvation of more. Of more. Because God will not stop. He, he is pursuing everyone. God is not satisfied with 120. He's not satisfied with 3,000. God wants all to enter into the triune life that He affords us and makes possible by the giving of the Spirit. And this. Right here is a case study, and it's a pattern that has began in the book of Acts. And we see this pattern over and over again. The spirit erupts or disrupts. People are perplexed. They ask questions, and empowered responses are given. And this happens time and time and time again. There are 19 sermons and speeches just in the book of Acts alone. Okay? We are a people who are empowered to proclaim. And if you've been around Antioch any length of time, you know that the proclamation of the gospel is something that Pastor Jade, and he labels it like that on purpose, so that we might not become a people who think that the gospel is for the unsaved, and real Bible teaching is for the saved, and the people that that are here week in and week out. No, the proclamation of the gospel is something for all of us, all the time, and it reminds us that we are living in this life with Christ, that you are not apart from Christ, that you are in him and his spirit is in you. And this is what the the proclamation of the gospel makes this possible. So wonders, questions, discerning responses are given, not always answers, okay? And I think that that's important for us, that Peter doesn't give an answer when he addresses the crowd he doesn't he doesn't explain well this is why there are tongues of fire and this is why the wind and this is this we we get ourselves into trouble when we act like we know more than we do okay and that that is the truth how many people have been wounded by christians giving pat answers that apart from the fact that usually they're wrong anyways answers weren't meant to always be given that if the Spirit really is the one that cannot be contained or domesticated, then we speak what we do know. What Peter did know is this is that. I don't know why it happened this way. I don't know why the tongues of fire. I don't know why the wind was necessary. But this is that which was prophesied. Notice his response. It's not an answer. It's a pointing to what he was sure about. Okay, And the Spirit, in there. Jesus says another place, Don't worry about what you will say. The Spirit will empower you when you get there. So I want to free and release you of the pressure of having to try and say the right thing all the time. When in doubt, listen to begin with. Pray, probably quietly. and Say, Lord, what should I say? And don't feel like you have to have an answer to explain why God showed up in the drawing of straws this time. And why God in this time showed up with tongues of fire and wind. Because we don't get to choose when he's going to do what. And we certainly can't predict it. Okay? Amen. So how did this affect them? After Peter's sermon, what happens? They were empowered to live shared life with Christ and with one another. And that is not the big, beautiful, sexy answer that we wanted to come after Pentecost. What happens? They decide to stay in Jerusalem for a time, and they have to learn how to live together. The Spirit empowers them to learn how to channel the life of Christ that they have now been brought into, and the guiding and the leading of the Spirit that is now in them in their dealings with one another this is what the book of acts is really all about interspersed with these signs and wonders and more being brought in and then they have to learn how to live with those people and then more are brought in over here they have to learn how to live with those people and then they eventually start to go out in groups and they start to spread out from jerusalem and they have to learn how to live and learn how to thrive in other cultures and this is why jesus says it's better that i go away and that the spirit come because jesus was one jesus was one man he can't Go everywhere with everyone all the time. But the Spirit on the inside of you, who has placed you in the life of Christ, can lead you into all truth. As it said in John, as we read just a minute ago, that he tes- the Spirit testifies to Jesus, and he will lead you into all truth. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Eventually they leave, and it's learning how to apply and appropriate the gospel in all these other various contexts Without Pentecost, we'd just be people who tell the Jesus story. But because of Pentecost, we are the people who live Jesus' story through the power of the Spirit. John Stott says, The Pentecost event is a direct affront to the phenomenon of the Spirit coming to supply only interior and personal significance. Pentecost is where the church goes public. Pentecost does affect you personally. Absolutely it does. But if it doesn't affect you personally in a way that affects all of us, then I would question if it really is the Holy Spirit. Okay, And that, that is essentially what Pastor Jade preached two weeks ago, that if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but it does, it's not reflected in the way that I love and care for you, then it's a clanging symbol. And I could go over here and just make a real dramatic spectacle and take the symbol apart from all the rest of the music and just clang it away. And just to show you how annoying it really is. But I think that you'll believe me, okay? You don't need me to teach you that. <clears throat> so uh, I want to move now just very briefly, and I'll be wrapping up here in five or seven minutes. Uh, I didn't realize this until now. We're going John, Acts, and Romans. So, If you're new to the faith, that's just through the Bible. It's just keep flipping the pages toward the left, and you'll get there, okay? So John, Acts, and now we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Read a few verses here. So once again, I want to bring us back to the initial question. What kind of life does Pentecost make possible for us? Us individually and us corporately. What kind of life does Pentecost make possible? So we're going to begin reading here uh, in verse 22, Romans 8, wrong page, Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Doesn't that sound fun, ladies? Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So, just let's backtrack over these verses that's um, that we've just read here. The creation has been groaning. Why? Why has creation been groaning? Because things are not yet as they should be. Creation is groaning for the adoption of the sons of God to manifest and to live into the kingdom of God because things left apart from the kingdom of God are a nightmare. Because even creation realizes that the endless school shootings and the endless miscarriages and abortions and the endless poverty and hunger in the world is not right that it is not right and it is not the way that God intended things to be. And so, even creation itself is groaning for these things to change. And so, God has given us a deposit of His Spirit, it says, or a first fruits in your Bible. What is a deposit? I wrote this well, so I don't want to screw it up. A deposit is a representative portion of the whole, which in this case, is coming in the future. A deposit of something, it's, it's a representative portion of the greater whole. So what does this mean for us? Coupled with the verses in, in about hope, it means that God is not done working and that all that will be given to us, all that is promised to us in this book, is not yet at our fingertips. All the promises of God are not yet fully available to us because God is not done working yet. That they are, that like the coming of the Spirit, at times God interrupts and brings healing. But even when he brings healing, we eventually die, right? None of us are going to, un- unless Jesus comes, the second coming happens soon, we're all going to die again. So all of these. All of the things that are promised to us are not here in the fullness that they will be in the future. And this is why our salvation is based on hope. And this is what he says. Who hopes for what they already have? We don't yet have our salvation, right? We have been justified in Christ. And we have been placed in him and his spirit is placed in us. But we're not saved yet. We still die We still succumb to sin at times and to death at times. We will be saved. That is guaranteed to you. I'm not not making you question your salvation. But what I'm saying is that has not fully come to completion yet. And that's why we suffer. That is why life is so difficult at times. Because God and his plans and his will is not completely, it's not accepted in the way that that the life is lived around us. That God is not done working. God is not done doing all he is going to do. So we hope and we pray. This is why we pray the Lord's Prayer. God let your kingdom come. Because sometimes it is, it has come. And in some places people's lives have been turned around and marriages have been saved and and finances have been turned around and organizations are built that save lives and, and bring people out of sex slavery. The kingdom does come and is here in ways, but not in the fullness of what it will be in the end. And this is why we have hope for the future, because we have a deposit now. The deposit says, I'm not done working, but I'm giving you, and let's read this here. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, is the next verse. I'm giving you the Spirit to sustain you in this in-between life. The in-between life of the initial Pentecost and the, the parousia, when Jesus comes again and there is new creation and all wrongs are made right and sin is banished no more. Or sin, sin is no more. It is banished. There will be no sin. There will be no weeping. There will be no, no sadness because we will be with Christ and in Christ perfectly forever. But until that time, the Spirit helps you in your weakness. The Spirit helps me in my weakness. The Spirit helps the church when it is at a crossroads and it doesn't have the wisdom to make decisions. We trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. A friend of mine uh, who actually will be here with us in a couple of weeks preaching uh, his name is Dr. Chris Green. And I, I believe Pastor Jade actually told a story that he told last week during the Mother's Day service. But he says that the life we live and we, we receive is not a different life than those around us. And what he means by that is we still are born and die the same way, right? We will still wrestle and struggle with the same struggles of the people of the world. At times, there will not be enough to make ends meet. At times, we will succumb to sickness. None of us is perfectly healed and whole throughout the entirety of our lives. If so, you wouldn't die. Okay? But we are empowered when we come into Christ to live that life we are given differently. And that is the Christian claim. That is the claim of hope. That is what Pentecost makes possible. Not that we don't have to die like the people around us, and not that we never encounter difficulty and never encounter struggle, and finances and health are always abundant, and life is always perfect and glorious. Anyone who's lived a day knows that that is not always the case. But we are empowered by the Spirit to live the life we are given differently. We live it knowing that the God who is in us and that we are in is able to always work toward our good, no matter what comes to us. This is the next the next verse here, more than conquerors, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Christian claim is that no matter what comes against us, no matter how good, even if it's straight evil from the pit of hell, if it comes against you, God can somehow miraculously make good out of it. That is the hope of the Christian Faith. And that is what Pentecost makes possible for us. So, in conclusion, what does all this mean for Antioch Church? What does this mean for us today? It means that the Spirit has brought us into Christ's life to share in the power of his resurrection and also to have fellowship in his sufferings. That the church of God does not have a mission in the world, but the God of mission has a church in the world. Jürgen Moltmann said that, I'm gonna gonna say that again. The church of God does not have a mission in the world, but the God of mission has a church in the world. That we are the, the body of Christ, as Paul says it. That we are the hands and the feet of Christ, And Pentecost empowers us in our weakness to live the life that we have been given faithfully. It doesn't mean it will be without struggle and without difficulty. It means that because the Spirit is in you, that you have the ability to live faithfully no matter what comes your way. Pentecost is the down payment on the restoration of all things that we know is coming, that we believe is coming, Which is why we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Come. We know it is coming. Come soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that is the whole spirit of the Advent season is crying out for Christ to come. Another thing that I find fascinating, jumping back to the introduction, and this is in closing, is that I said in the church calendar that we walk through the life of Christ, and then there's a dramatic shift at Pentecost to the people of God. So it's walking through the events of Christ's life as, a, as chronicled in the Gospels, and then it shifts to life as the people of God. And what that time in the church is called, anybody know? Ordinary time. Thank you, David. It's called ordinary time. Think about that. Immediately after Pentecost, it's ordinary time. What does that mean? That does not mean that nothing changes and now life is back to ho-hum, terrible life. That's not what that means. It means that the Spirit empowers us to live ordinary life in extraordinary ways because the Spirit is inside us. So Antioch, as we enter into ordinary time, recognize that you have been brought into and you have given you have been given the capability of sharing in Christ's life pastors and uh, christy's messages a couple of weeks both reinforced to us that if what happens on the inside of us does not result in becoming more loving then it's meaningless it's like a clanging cymbal a gong which Isaac is going to do so much better than a clanging cymbal here in just a minute That the Pentecostal life, that living the life filled with the Spirit, means, yes, that we can pray in the Spirit. It means that at times the Lord will use you and use me as a conduit for signs and wonders in the people around us. We totally believe that. And we want that. And we pursue that. And we say, Lord, come in that way. And it also means that in the metaphorical drawing of straws, that the Spirit is also present there and that the Spirit is present on Sundays when it doesn't seem like anything spectacular. The Spirit is present. He is in you. He is touching you. He is changing you. He's empowering you to be a more loving spouse, a more loving parent, a better business owner, a better citizen in this community, community, a more loving church member to the people around you whose hearts are open and break for the people around you whose hearts are open and not distant when we read and hear about things like another school shooting in Santa Fe, Santa Fe, Texas. That we are not a people who distance ourselves from that, but that we are equipped and empowered to enter into the pain and enter into the suffering and cry out, Lord Jesus, come. Spirit, touch those people Descend upon those people. Empower them to walk through the most tragic thing most of them will ever walk through. Spirit, would you empower them? Would you be with them? And for those of you in this room who are hurting beyond belief, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know what most of your situations are, but I do know that the Spirit empowering you doesn't always mean that in the instant He empowers you, He makes things better. What I know is that he empowers you in your weakness to be faithful, to keep moving, to keep walking, to be hopeful, to be a people who are not scared to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ when you come into contact with those people. Amen. Let me pray, and then we will come to the table. Lord, it would be presumptuous for us to to imagine that we have exhausted the meaning of meaning of the giving of your spirit the descending of your spirit upon us as the church but God I pray that today our eyes would be open a little bit more and that our hearts would be softened a little bit more to the work that you are doing in us and in the people around us God I pray that we would be attuned to your spirit that your spirit would tap us on the shoulder regularly and say "Hey, hey look for what I'm doing look for where I'm at work, look for where I'm at work in you and your family and the people around you. God, I pray that we would increasingly become that kind of people. And Lord, I also pray that as we come to this table, that we would recognize that this also is a spirit encounter. That this is not just a ritual, but that we believe that something happens, something mysterious happens when we participate and obey Jesus, when he tells us to remember him, to feed on his body and his blood. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower these next few moments and encounter us each in the way that we need it most. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move into...